You know what is going on? This is your humble host here, John Ross Marcus Cox with the Way Too Much JRMC Podcast. How's everybody doing today? Been a little while since I've been uh, on here talking to y'all. I hope everybody's had a good couple of weeks. I know I've had a wonderful last couple of weeks here with uh, family life and most definitely with my youth football team. We won our championship this past weekend, so I want to give those, want to give those, those dudes a big shout-out and thank you those families and everything like that um but that being said it's listen it's time to get down to the nitty-gritty we got the election coming up and oh lord what i mean less than a week six days away now some of y'all already got your Epstein ballots and are already going and doing your early voting and all that so uh we're behind the eight ball right now and we gotta talk about this stuff and so everybody knows you know how they should vote on on certain things so with that being said, uh, tell you one thing that I would encourage everyone to do over these next few days is if you haven't volunteered for a candidate that you are in support of, no matter what side they're on, um, get out and do something. Get out and knock on doors, make phone calls. Heck, go be a keyboard warrior on Facebook in the comments section. Get you know, get down in the people's comments section for those people and you know get their back and support their stances, all that good stuff. Me personally, I've been out walking neighborhoods and doing hanging door hangers and knocking on doors and shaking hands and stuff like that for uh candidates that i'm i'm in support of took my three oldest kids out yesterday and they that they loved it man we knocked out an entire neighborhood in like three hours and uh what until like the last 15 minutes my youngest daughter started getting a little hangry on me but other than that kids did phenomenal job and i just think like it helps build confidence and get them involved in their in the civic world, uh, you know, at an early age, and it's nothing but nothing but positive. So I think I would encourage all y'all to get out and get out and do as much of that as you can um, over this next you know four or five days. So we're going. I'm going to be doing several podcasts over this next, you know, probably even over the weekend, because I feel like there's many things we need to we need to discuss beforehand and. If we don't talk about it, how are you going to know how to vote? You know, it's like I don't expect you to go off what I'm saying, but I do think sometimes I can add some in some different perspectives and you know point you in the right direction, that kind of thing. I actually recorded this show yesterday and did it live on YouTube and quickly went there and made it private and and deleted it because I when I was doing it. As far as one of these amendments go, I I knew while I was doing it that my like gut was telling me, hey, the, on this one you 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 shouldn't be you don't need to vote you don't need to vote for this thing. Um, and then as soon as I clicked in and walked upstairs and started listening to some podcast, another another podcast that I listened to it's called Patriot Point. Um, you know, give Lee Watts a shout out, a shout out there here in Kentucky. Was saying the, saying the same stuff that I knew I was thinking about. Amendment one, you're going. It's going to be on the Kentucky ballot, and so I had to delete it, and I figured I, I, I need to need to redo it, anyways. So, so yeah. But just to back up here a little bit, just some house cleaning items. Obviously, thanks for coming back, listening to the Way Too Much JRMC podcast. Um, you find us on all the audio podcast platforms: Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you know, Google Podcast, Amazon Podcast. You name it, where I'm, I'm, I'm on it. 
um, find you can find me video on you on my YouTube channel here, Way Too Much JRMC, or over on Rumble. Just gotta search Way Too Much JRMC there, or you can click on the link in the in the show notes here on on YouTube. Um, so make sure you subscribe, comment, like, share, all that good stuff. That's the best way to beat the algorithm is for everybody to be sharing it around and. You know, tag you know, if you're if you're mentioning or discussing something that I've talked about, just make sure you tag me. You know, give me a little hashtag, way too much JRMC or something, just so we can. So it's getting into the, getting into the algo or behind behind the scenes. So yeah, but obviously all these grassroots podcasts, whether it be mine or Patriot, I think the Patriot Point that Lee Watts does, or even if it's bigger ones like Joe Rogan or Tim Pool or any of those, sharing and liking and subscribing and commenting and just being engaged with with whoever the host is that's that that helps them more than anything um as far as growing their subscriber base and all that good stuff so i just really want to say thank you thank all y'all for paying attention here so again this is going to be talking about a kentucky what's some stuff's gonna be on the kentucky ballot here coming up on tuesday but like always i'm going to try to apply it to the national conversation so even if you're not in kentucky i still think this is a, it's worth your time to Listen to what we're t- what we're talking about here, and so you can look apply it in your own state and see if stuff like this is happening there as well. So, all right, let's get right down to it. So again, we got two constitutional amendments that are going to be on this ballot coming up on Tuesday. The first amendment has to do with a constitutional revision to as far as how our legislature meets and how it can be called into session, that type of thing. And then the second one is the abortion amendment. So we'll address them separately um obviously the hot button one is uh, is the amendment number two that you're going to see in there so it's you know i feel like we need to talk about that one first um it's also going to require me to talk less because it's pretty cut and dry um so but let's just let's just read what this amendment says first of all because there's been a lot of misinformation out there i hate the word misinformation disinformation whatever but it's what it is, and it's the misinformation. This information is not coming from the right, like like that. I don't know if you watched Joe Biden's speech last night, but I mean, these people—they're off their rockers. I mean, they're—they think that people that are on the that are right leaning are absolute lunatics, and they're—it's the biggest example of projectionism I've ever seen. I think is that, is that how you say it? I'm, I'm, y'all know I'm from Eastern Kentucky. I don't know if it's seen or saw, but it's just—it's just blanket, blatant. You know, narcissism or just lack of self-awareness or I don't know what I don't know what it is evil but I mean Joe Biden what he's what he's saying in his speech couldn't be less true the people he's saying it's true about and so there's only one side of this of this second amendment deal here that is being dishonest and that's the left so, constitutional amendment number two that you will see most likely on the back side of your ballot, and I'll try to show you all what a sample ballot will look like, but it's very short. It says, are you in favor of amending the Constitution of Kentucky by creating a new section of the Constitution to be numbered Section 26A to state as follows? To protect human life, nothing in this Constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. Full stop. That's all it says doesn't say this constitution bans abortion doesn't say it only allows it up to, up to 12 weeks it doesn't say up to 15 weeks it doesn't say it's up it's allowed up to 40 it doesn't say all it says 
This right here that I'm holding up, the Kentucky Constitution. It was written in, I think the last time it was revised was 1890 or something like that. So what it's saying here, I don't think it's very far-fetched to be saying this. I think if they would have, knew, if they would have known in 1890 or whenever, you know, whenever it was originally written that this was even going to be a topic of discussion, they would have put this in there. But all this thing says is that in order to protect human life, this amendment states that this Constitution says nothing in it that protects the right to an abortion, that says there ever was a right to an abortion, or that can be misconstrued or used by an activist judge to paint the picture that the state of Kentucky is required to fund abortion. That's all it says. All those people knocking on your doors, the pro-choice people and the Planned Parenthood people and all that that are saying that this, this amendment's going to ban abortion and trying to take away women's rights to choose and all doesn't have it doesn't have an exemption for rape or incest. All that. None of that even pertains. It isn't even pertinent to what we're talking about. All this amendment says is the Constitution itself. nor guarantees the right to an abortion or nor does it ban abortion. It literally is saying that it says nothing of the topic, which then in turn means that the people through their elected representatives can govern themselves on the issue and enact legislation whether it be with abortion restrictions or an all-out help people, our, our legislature after this after this amendment could literally, if the Democrats want to get their ground game going like crazy in Kentucky and get a supermajority Democrats, they could literally say abortion is illegal up until they have their first tooth, till they're teething, and they're able to eat solid foods. Not really. <laughs> I, mean, I guess I don't know. Maybe they would try to argue that they're not. They're not uh, able to sustain themselves, so they could still be able to be be murdered. But uh, who knows what these what the, what they're trying to do? But this amendment does not take away the right to an abortion or promote the right to an abortion. It says the Constitution does not say anything regarding it, one way or the other, or nor does it say anything about the funding of it one or the other but there's it just it's not it's there's nowhere in it where it says you have either either right that's all it says i know that makes some people mad and they don't want to hear that because it's you know they're like oh, it's just a right-wing toggle point no that's literally what it says y'all know i'm big i'm big on this vocabulary matters in legislation the words you put on paper matter this one's concise and honestly, in the state of Kentucky, they probably could have said that they probably could have put a constitutional amendment that banned abortion, and it probably would have passed. So they, they they went they went above and beyond to make sure that this amendment didn't do, did nothing of the sort, didn't ban it at all. They probably like they probably could have gotten it passed if they would have put that in there. Let's just be honest. All right, but so. I'm an emphatic yes on this one. 
Okay, and I, here's what I want to say. I'm someone who I'm from Southeast Kentucky. Grew up you know, in the Southern Baptist Church. Struggle with my struggle with my faith, my religion, all that. Like so many others from those from those areas. And I've waffled back and forth. And because here's why I waffled because I always got lost in this. Like, well, what if somebody's raped? Or what if somebody? What if it's incest? Or, um, you know, what if they? What if the woman doesn't have a job and the, and, the, and the man leaves or what if it's you know got some kind of illness or yada yada I, I always allow myself to emotionally go there but this is a very easy subject if you realize take all emotions out no matter what if there's a human life inside of that mother okay and as far as this amendment goes it makes it super easy whenever you really do realize that, hey, we that that fight over the emotional side of things, over where you have exceptions and how far it can go and how many weeks and all that, this amendment won't will not inhibit that discussion whatsoever. It will it will literally supplant that conversation's the fact that it's ne- that it would be necessary because it says up as of that day when it passes it'll say hey from this point forward we, here's how we recognize this there's no right to this nor is there any denial of this right mentioned in this constitution so up until that day it'll say no decisions have been made now as of that day going forward it's crystal clear point blank we got to we got to decide as a Kentucky you know voting public your citizenry, where we stand on this issue. And the Supreme Court won't be able to say, oh, well, it's they're misconstrued the Constitution to say, oh, well, there was already a right in there or something. They can't limit it. Same way that if they were to figure out a way to pass it and make it legal to have an abortion up to 40 weeks of pregnancy, if it passed, no one could go in and the Supreme Court or whatever couldn't go in and say, well, in the in the Constitution, it bans abortion, so you can't enact this law that allows it up to forty weeks because it bans it in the Constitution. It'll say we have to go, we have to rule based off whatever this legislation is because this the Constitution was very clear. This amendment that there's nothing pertaining to this issue in like pre-existing text text. Okay, so. They haven't got my point, my point across there. Now, obviously, like I said, I'm, a, I'm an emphatic yes on this. My next question is, why are we not talking about it more than we are? Here's why. Pastors, preachers, priests, rabbis, all y'all. Y'all are failing you're failing to discuss issues that are directly in your purview and that millions of people, especially in, a, in a, such a religious state as Kentucky, that rely on, you, on your spiritual guidance. You're failing them by not telling them where you stand on it from the pulpit. 
I've had this conversation with a few people now, and I've heard a couple, a couple of like, you know, well, I don't want my church to be political. You know, it's best that the church stays neutral. You know, it's like these asinine, cowardly responses. They're, it's cowardly. You know, but I started thinking, like, I'm not, a, I'm not a pastor. You know, what kind of, you know, what kind of uh, cred do I have to be telling anything to to a group of pastors or whatever, as far as like telling them what they should be doing from the pulpit? A guy named Bob Russell here in, here in Louisville, founder of, uh, he's one of the founders, I believe, of Southeast Christian Church, so the big, the biggest church in the state of Kentucky. He's been retired now for a while. But he still has a blog and still comes back and preaches at Southeast. So we're talking tens of thousands of members of this church. He wrote a, he wrote a blog on the 30th. I'm going to read some of it to you. It says, this past week I read Eric Metaxas' new book, Letter to the American Church. Metaxas, the author of the best-selling biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, compares America's current spiritual condition with Germany in the 1930s, a decade before World War II began. Dietrich Bonhoeffer pleaded with the German church to wake up and speak against the sinister policies of Adolf Hitler. However, most German Lutheran pastors refused to speak out and their silence enabled a Nazi takeover. So in our current political environment, we keep hearing about how the right, they're Nazis and they're authoritarians and they're fascists and all this stuff. Talk about projectionism. You go back to the World War II, and there was a there was a regime that was stomping at the flame of any kind of political dis- dissent. That was talking some crazy nonsense, and the church failed to speak up about it out of fear of being labeled all kinds of labels that we'll talk about in a second. That he that he goes on to say, and I want to read his words exactly. Texas warns current American church leaders not to make a similar mistake, urging them to wake up and speak against the immoral ideology propagated throughout the, our culture. Yet from politicians to grade school teachers, influential leaders everywhere are placing tremendous pressure on everyone to embrace abortion, homosexuality, gender transition, and cultural Marxism. For example, President Biden recently welcomed a man dressed as a young girl as a special guest of the White House, praising him as wholesome and insisting those who opposed transition surgeries were immoral. And there are numerous reports of schools hosting drag queens to read and entertain students, some as young as preschool. So while you pastors are saying you don't want to get political because you're afraid you might get a little bit less tithing money, while you're failing to talk about about any of this stuff from the pulpit, because you want to remain neutral. You got leaders, grade school teachers, po- politicians, ex- ex- radical pastors and preachers and priests out there promoting and putting tremendous amounts of pressure on people to embrace these, these things like abortion and gender transitions for minors, cultural Marxism, homosexuality, and again, I'm not passing judgment on any of this stuff. I, but listen, I'm not a pastor. I ain't a preacher or a priest. And he's exactly right. President Biden is, he promotes all this stuff. 
and he makes he he makes people that disagree have any kind of political dissent with this stuff appear to be immoral because the people that actually have clout to push back on that won't. This is Eric Metaxas's book highlights some of the mistakes made by many German pastors in the 30s and underscores that these same miscalculations are being repeated by church leaders across America today. This is here are three of the most glaring. So one is they failed to understand the times. The Nazi philosophy was not just another passing extreme ideology. It resulted in the Holocaust and World War II, which killed millions and millions of people. He says, the church is the conscience of the state and must call it into account. However, Metaxas points out, the German pastors were not alive to the urgency of the situation. They failed to acknowledge they were living in extraordinary times. Likewise, many church leaders today seem ambivalent to our immoral condition, shrugging off the current idiocy as something that will pass or settle back to normal after the next election. However, history suggests this is unlikely to happen unless Christians step up and speak out. There's no political party that's going to save the nation. He says only Christ and the spiritual revival can do that. So failing to understand the times, preachers, deacons, elders, influential youth pastors, whatever. Understand how big of an issue this is and how important of an issue this is and how much of an impact you can have, what kind of imprint you can leave, what kind of legacy you can leave. People may not know your specific name in the history books, okay, but you will be able to go to your grave knowing you were part of the evangelical coalition that was able to get over the finish line in the state that there is no guaranteed right to an abortion or funding of that abortion in the state of Kentucky. If I was a pastor, I could not think of a more a, a more positive legacy to leave behind than that. He says, number two, they were persuaded that the best way to evangelize was to remain politically neutral. For example, Metaxas reports the spiritual leaders in Germany were convinced if they took a public stand against Adolf Hitler, non-believers would see the church as too political and be turned off to the gospel. Sound familiar? Today's church leaders are so imbued with the seeker-friendly mentality that the first question often asked are, how will outsiders perceive this? How will this limit our opportunity to win them to Christ? Concerning ourselves with the best way to evangelize the lost is a legitimate concern. However, our first command is not to please men, but to obey God, and we should leave the results up to him. Again, this isn't me preaching a sermon at y'all. This is me reading from an article written by someone who certainly has the credibility to make these, make these statements. And I can tell you this, as someone who, you know, I'm back in the church now, working and trying to work back in the right direction with my faith. I've always believed in God, but I have struggled with with my faith and my you know lack of relationship with my father's really I've just really I've really struggled with you know, the type of the church I was brought up in. Not that it was bad. It was just it just didn't it wasn't it didn't work for me at the time. But being someone from a small town coming up to a big into the big city we'll call it it does it seems very apparent to me that the church 
in general is more worried about growth than it is than it is I'm trying to figure out how to say this than it is focused on its own fundamental beliefs. What good is growth if you're not growing your membership based on your core values? Who cares how big my football team is if every kid on that team thinks that they deserve all the carries and that they're the best things in sliced bread, but it doesn't do me any good. He said they walked by fear and not by faith. Today's American, American pastors are terrified of being labeled as misogynist, homophobic, racist, bigoted, and haters by the world. They also fear backlash from church members who are more loyal to a political agenda than to Jesus. So most pastors placate their conscience by expressing concern about a cultural and moral decline, but they never get specific about what it is, about what is sinful and inviting God's wrath. Plus, there's rarely a call to repentance or for definitive action. So that's what I'm saying and what I want to get to in this, you know, should be 25, 25 minutes to get here. Church leadership. It's time to get specific about what you think is wrong with our current culture. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about worldwide. Let's shrink it down. Let's talk about America right now. We can't worry about the world if America, if we don't have our own house in order. And we're not talking about America. We're talking about Kentucky. We're talking about Kentucky here. Saying we have to battle sin, it's not enough. Sin is so, it's such a big issue. And it actually, that's what opens you up to calls of misogyny and homophobia and racism and, you know, being bigoted is when you just talk about sin as this all-encompassing blanket then they, you know, people can plug and chug whatever they want that sin to be and say that, you're, well, you're talking about sin. And people that are whatever, you know, whatever they think you think is sinful, they can say, well, you're a, you're a bigot because you think this is a sin. And you, since you won't say specifically what you're talking about, you open yourself up. It's time to be specific and say, hey, if there's one thing we can say for sure is a sin, it's killing a baby. Plus, there's rarely a call for repentance or definitive action. Here's the deal: it's hard sometimes to call for definitive action. You know, if you're trying to fight, if you're trying to fight racism, how, you know, what do you, what steps do you give people to fight against that? You know, it's it's pretty it's a pretty broad term for fighting against election integrity, or election deniers. How do we fight election deniers? It's hard. It's like they keep it broad on purpose. The left does. This is about as definitive and specific as you could possibly be. You don't have to venture out into crazy politics. You can say, hey, on Tuesday or whenever you go to the ballot box, you need to vote for you need to vote yes on constitutional amendment number two. Well, I implore you as your leader in this church. And if you disagree, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Because if we can't agree, if you're in this church and you are a Christian, here's the deal. Even if you don't want to, you know, like one thing I've I've made been made aware of in current Bible studies is like, hey, listen, as a 
body of Christ, as a group of Christians, we do hold each other to a higher standard than we do people outside of that. So even if you don't feel comfortable as a pastor telling everybody in there, hey, believers and non-believers alike, here's your definitive action, you should at least feel comfortable telling your, the people that call themselves Christians, you need to go to, the, go to the voting booth and vote yes on amendment number two. Because we hold ourselves to a higher standard as a, as a, as a Christian body. And I, as your shepherd, and you as my flock, I'm telling you this is my flock should all be in the same camp and know that I'm behind and I will be voting yes on this amendment. Mr. Russell goes on to say, on November 8th, the Kentuckians will vote on the issue of abortion. A yes vote prevents courts from arbitrarily determining abortion as a right. Whereas a no vote maintains the possibility that judges could permit abortion up until the day of birth. Abortion advocates are mounting an all-out campaign to oppose the amendment, leaving many good people confused and uncertain about the issue. Sadly, most church leaders have remained silent for fear of being political. And this is not me. This isn't me calling, calling you into action here, preachers. Bob Russell goes on to say, Church leaders, your congregation needs you to be strong and courageous now. Our country needs you to step up and speak out now. We are living in precarious times. If we don't stand firm, our grandchildren may not have the same freedoms and privileges we take for granted. If the argument that we are having now, okay, is that there's one group of people that think you don't have a right to an abortion, and there's another group that think that seriously thinks that our founding fathers, when, we're, when we're, they were writing our Constitution, would have given and and actually took into consideration giving women the right to abort. Quote, which is killing, murdering their own babies. I don't want to live there. And this entire American experiment is a failure. If that is the country we live in, and our country was founded on the premise that people should be free to, ch to kill their baby as long as it hadn't came out of their bodies yet, then I don't want to be an American. I don't. Church leaders, your congregation needs you to be strong and courageous now. It reminds me of a, of Bible, a Bible verse, Isaiah 6, 8. It goes something like, the angel of the Lord said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Preachers, if you aren't going to step up to the plate now, then you never are. And I have no respect for you. I don't care who, I don't care if you're the preacher of my, my bigger, the preacher of my church, Kyle Ottoman. If you won't speak out on this issue, I got respect for you. One of my favorite people in the church I've ever met, my pastor, Greg Allen. If you won't speak up on it, I have respect for you, brother. And you know how much respect for how much respect I have for you, and I love you. But it's just, it is what it is. 
If you can't stand up for the protection of unborn children, then what will you stand for? Of course, some will get angry and protest that the church shouldn't get involved in politics. Really? This is a good point. Should William Wilberforce have gotten involved in a campaign against the slave trade? Or should he have given up all those times along the way that he tried to fight back in slave trade and, that, and he couldn't get it? He couldn't end it in England? Was Martin Luther King Jr. wrong in standing for civil rights? Martin Luther King Jr. was first and foremost a pastor. And even though many of his white pastor brothers wasn't willing to admit it yet and didn't speak up, he got political and he stood up for what I think we all would would vehemently agree with him on, that our treatment of African Americans in his country was horrific. What if he wouldn't have done that? We kill, we abort millions of babies a year. Millions. If you do not speak, you are not being neutral. You are contributing to the success of the thing you refuse to name and condemn. He says, Scripture, scripture warns, 1 Corinthians 14, 8, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? And that pumps me up, man, right there. The soldiers got to know. The soldiers have to know when to charge. So don't look at your congregation as sheep, as your flock. It is your regiment. Next Tuesday, your congregation is your regiment. And you are the general. And they are waiting on you to sound the call and say, charge. Leave no doubt. Final paragraph of the overview of Eric Metaxas' book reads, Silence is not an option. God calls us to, to defend the unborn, to confront the lies of cultural Marxism, and to battle the globalist tyranny that crushes human freedom. Confident that, it, that this is his fight, the church must overcome fear and enter the fray, armed with the spiritual weapons of prayer, self-sacrifice, and love. He says amen and amen. Here's what I'll tell you. There are people like me that have finally, been, like, finally gotten back into church and... Here's what I'll tell you right now. What I've what I've needed more than anything in my life is like I didn't have a father around until I was ten. And my stepdad came around and he's been a, my guardian angel. But I needed someone to show me the way, to show me the path forward. And since I didn't have that, I've had to have so I've made so many mistakes that I could have avoided. I need someone who wasn't going to worry about my feelings or worry about, you know, if it was going to make me not like them for a week or two because they knew it was the right thing to do and I would be, I would come around. In a world, in a country, in a state full of broken families, if our spiritual father, our pastors, our priest, won't show us the way and be clear and concise on what that way is. Especially when it comes to this matter. We're not talking about taxes. We're not talking about social welfare systems, social security. We're not, or hell, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the murdering of millions of babies every year 
And then we're not even talking about that. We're talking about just being honest and saying that, hey, in this document right here, the Kentucky Constitution, there currently is no right to an abortion or right to the funding of an abortion. Be clear, be concise. Because there's other pastors out here that are doing that are doing what I'm talking about in the other direction. This came out of the Courier Journal. It says Reverend Dr. R. M. Woods lives in Louisville, zip code 40215. Regarding Amendment 2, I, along with other ministers, believe that a woman's decision to have an abortion should be between her, her family, and her God, not politicians. This quote is from a Christian pastor who appeared on a TV ad against Amendment 2. I must agree with him, although I would also include her medical professionals. What I see in Amendment 2 is that some right-wing fanatics are attempting to take away the freedom of choice, a right that I, as a military veteran, serve to protect, whether or not I agree with that choice. We as Americans must not let those who would have, have, who would have us under the thumb of dictatorial rule remove our freedoms. I strongly request that anyone reading this vote no to Amendment 2 on Election Day. What an ignorant person. Reverend Dr. R.M. Woods, you are an ignorant human being. No one's taking away a freedom of choice. We're not talking about if you're going to McDonald's to get a hamburger or Burger King. We're not even talking about, as far as this amendment goes, if you're continuing your pregnancy or not. We're talking about, is there, is there any terminology, language, vocabulary, written in the Kentucky Constitution currently that guarantees your right to an abortion or the funding of that abortion? That's what we're talking about, you ignorant person. Plus, don't be trying to bring in military veteranship, veteranhood here. You know where most military veterans are? My neck of the woods, Appalachia, the South. Ain't none of them talking about going to war and doing it so you can choose to have an abortion. And then talking about right-wing fanatics. When you make it, you make a entire group of people a fanatic solely because they don't want to, they don't want people to have the choice to murder babies. Because here's the deal. If the amendment was to ban abortion, I would say yes on that too. But I'm being honest and saying that ain't even what it's, this is doing. Because I don't want, the, I don't want the politicians to get credit for that because that ain't what they've done. Okay. All right. Now we're on to, now we're on to amendment two. Many of you all will remember. I'm sorry, now we're on to Amendment 1. Back to Amendment 1. Many of y'all remember here in, in the state of Kentucky. I mean, I remember like it was yesterday when I heard Andy Bashir saying I couldn't go to church. Then I heard him then I heard him labeling heard him labeling people heroes and other people not heroes and other people essential and other people non-essential. Certain turn it like turning our society into a class system. I mean, I, I just could, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Okay, so what this amendment was supposed to be doing was battling about, was battling against the emergency powers that had been granted to our Kentucky governor. Okay, and one of the, one of the biggest issues of battling back against him was that 
once we go out of session in Kentucky as a legislative body, we can't come back into session until the next until January of the next year. So our governor kind of acts as a petty tyrant along the way. He's the only person that can call them back into session. Okay, so I'm going to start out here. Let's start out by I'm going to read to you what's going to be on the ballot. It's going to be boring for a second. It says, are you in favor of amending the present Constitution of Kentucky to repeal sections 36, 42, and 55 and replace those sections with new sections of the Constitution of Kentucky to allow the General Assembly to meet in regular session for 30 legislative days in odd-numbered years, for 60 legislative days in even-numbered years, and for no more than 12 additional days during any calendar year if convened by a joint proclamation of the President of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives with no session of the General Assembly to extend beyond December 31st and to provide that any act passed by the General Assembly shall become law on July 1 of the year in which it was passed or 90 days after passage and signature of the governor, whichever occurs later or in cases of emergency when, it, when approved by the governor when it otherwise becomes law under Section 88 of the Constitution. So in many other states, Florida, for example, like during the, during the pandemic, it just seemed like they were able to respond so much better than, some, than, than we were in Kentucky because their legislature could be called into session. And they had a governor that would have called them into session anyways because he was also a Republican. And they were able to respond and adapt more, more quickly. Okay. So what this amendment would have done is it would theoretically would have made it to where our General Assembly could have called itself back into session to battle back against our Democratic Governor Andy Bashir. Here's the deal. And this is the amendment I was telling you. I, I, was, a, I was a yes vote on this thing. And I knew in my gut I didn't feel good about that. But I didn't listen to my gut. And then I heard Lee Watts on Patriot Point talk about this. And I was like, okay, I got to delete my, pod my other podcast and read, read, uh, record this and be honest and just listen to myself and what my gut's telling me. Because I I don't want to say I, I just, I'm leaning no. I'm, I'm an emphatic no on this. And I'm going to give you reasons why. Okay. So, my no vote was a yes, now I'm a no. I was a yes because I wasn't thinking it all the way through. Just like with so many bills, so many pieces of legislation, it all sounds good in the summary. And it, and it, sound, and it feels good, so you, you don't war game it out. You don't, you don't, like, you don't play it out a couple of generations to see how, how you actually you know, feel about it. My own, then my own assumption was also complicated by the fact that I'm not sure that I do agree with this only being a part-time legislature. But that's a topic for another day. It says, I got, no, I got it wrote down here. I was a yes. Here's why I was a yes. Emotionally, I'm still disgusted with the authority 
that was granted to our governor by the way of emergency powers. He told people they couldn't go to church. He told, he told us we couldn't go to church, for Christ's sake. I want everybody to think about that for a second. He demeaned entire segments of the population by, label, by labeling them non-essential, therefore preventing them from making a living or from seeing value in how they typically provide for their families financially. He also further divided the citizens of the state by labeling some heroes while confining others having to draw a check from the government to feed their families. He forced single mothers and dual-income families. He said, hey, suck it up. Figure it out. Because we got to close schools because it may save a life. It made it hard for you to find child care unless you were some political elite or financial elite and you could be one of the few they could have in the building. He, on one hand, was calling teachers heroes and saints while, while saying at the other side of his mouth that they were so insignificant and their jobs so easy that it could be done remotely for nearly two years, or something worse. He probably would still have it that way if he could, if he could choose it or worse, could be done by any mammal being forced to watch their grandkids as long as they had their little packet of papers to do. So teachers are heroes, but their job's so easy, the mammal without a high school diploma, because listen, to be honest, in Kentucky, it's pretty mammals and they got a high school diploma. Mine didn't. As long as you got your packet of papers, you're good. He declared people murderers that simply did not see see it as the right cause of action, right course of action, to stop going to the gym. You know, you were a murderer if you went to the grocery store and didn't have a mask on your face. So in short, Andy Bashir, he was the worst of the worst, and the Democrats and their allies have him to blame when Kentucky Republicans take even larger majorities in six days. I cannot wait. This is Kentuck, people. We can't stand for this kind of stuff. We are still pioneers at heart. <clears throat> Number two reason. I was, I was a yes vote. Over the last two years, we've sat back and watched the other state legislatures lacking the restrictions on calling themselves into, into session prosper and be able to act more quickly and decisively when their governors were acting like petty tyrants. And even when their governor was acting in ways they agreed with they were able to act in unison as a team. So that was another reason. I, want, I feel like I wanted this to be able to do that. Another reason. I said, I'm not sure. I think the desired results our Kentucky founding fathers hoped for when designing our legislative sessions the way they did are being achieved and therefore initially saw this amendment as a step in the direction of making our legislature full-time or at least have more legislative, a longer you know, legislative time period. I'm not saying I'm convinced it should be full-time. I just think we are 
being naive in our expectations of these normal slash average people when it comes to efficiently, thoroughly, thoughtfully executing legislative matters when the current setup makes it virtually impossible for huge swaths of the citizenry to run for office because of how the calendar currently works and what kind of jobs will allow a person to operate within it. But again, this is a topic for another discussion. I'm not trying to get into that. This is just one of the reasons I was thinking I would vote for it. Number four, I said most importantly, I was originally inclined to vote yes on this amendment because of the one thing I see as the biggest problem with our voting populace. Okay, so the reason I was a yes vote was because I was also being part of the problem. And I was letting my emotions and my my disgust, my disapproval, I don't want to say hate, that's too strong a word, I don't hate Andy Bashir because I'm not giving him that much of my time. But I was letting my emotions lead to my decision. And I've just learned over the last 10, 11 months especially, anytime I... The minute I realize that's happening, I try to stop myself in my tracks and think like, what's, that, what's going on right now? So when I stop myself in my tracks, I was able to clearly think about this. Here was one of my, this was my takeaways. And this is one of my biggest takeaways from my short 10 years, like a frequent frequent Frankfurt attendee. So often, bills and pieces of legislation, laws, whatever, whatever, what have you. So often, and rarely, do they do what you think they are going to do at first, at first glance. Anytime you think, oh, it's a great bill. I, I, I mean, it's, I don't know yet that I've found a bill that someone told me was great that I went in and read it and actually read the verbiage and felt this is a great bill. So here's some examples. Well, y'all know I was one of the, I was the guy that was going down to Frankfurt and with assistance from others, I rewrote the, I wrote the amendment for HB 51 that would done away with masks and vaccines and testing and all that regarding COVID in all public schools in the state of Kentucky. At first glance, I looked at HB 51. Okay, I didn't even put it on my little matrix of bills to consider because I knew I knew I was going to, have to rewrite a bill. I didn't even consider it because I thought it only pertained to childcare businesses because I only read like the first two or three pages. So that our entire movement, the entire movement of getting HB 51 out of the House and getting it from zero votes to, what was it, 58 or whatever in our, in our House and sent over to the Senate, almost died in its tracks because of my initial assumptions and lack to be, uh, and my lack of being thorough when going in and trying to locate all the bills that were, that could have been used. Another bill from this past session in Kentucky, SB 138, it was one of these, at first glance, people thought it was this big, huge anti-CRT bill. Let me tell you right now, it was nothing of the sort. 
didn't do anything to battle critical race theory or what, you know, whatever. Again, I don't care if you believe in CRT or if you're dis or if you think it's not even a thing. The point of the bill was supposed to be to battle CRT. It didn't do it. At best, it was a campaign, like a something to campaign on. But people think it did something, and the first time it, somebody tries to challenge something using that, what became SB1 at the time in the session, their challenge will be defeated because it didn't do it, and it gave the loophole. Right on the back end, last few sentences, the loophole's there, and it, it's, it, it doesn't mean anything. Okay, I'm gonna go. Here's, the, here's another bill. I'm gonna have people in our camp that are mad at me over this. HB 28 was supposed to be the the bill to end all COVID mandates, and it used the word all. And I love Savannah Maddox, and I love Felicia Rayborn, and I love Mark Hart. I love all. I really like all those people that were sponsors of it. But let me tell you right now, it did not end. It would not have ended all COVID mandates. It actually had a specific loophole in it, specific loophole in it that stated it in no way prevented schools from instigating COVID mitigation strategies such as masking. That's why it was so hard for me to get people on the bandwagon on 51 because I was trying to, like, I was having to, I was having to fight back against this public sentiment that 28 was the end all be all, the gospel from Jesus Christ himself, written in red in the you know, New Testament. In all COVID mandates when it didn't do that. Now, HB 51 didn't do it either. It, did, it, did, it would have done it in public schools for you know, minors and teachers in those schools, but it wouldn't have done it for workers or anything like that. And I, and I never represented it as such. It was for schools, public schools. It was it. That was it. In fact, there was also a bill many here in Louisville, Kentucky, a group of conservatives here, parents, wanted the, wanted the legislature to pick up a bill, and it probably would have passed because it was spe been specific to Louisville. Or, no, sorry, it wouldn't have been specific to Louisville, but it would have seemed like it was targeting Louisville, okay? It would have forced school boards to follow CDC guidelines when it came to COVID. Well, because Louisville was still in masks and still requiring a, a, a longer quarantine and all that, I guarantee it would have passed, and no one would have thought about the fact even the rural reps that would have voted in favor for it, in favor because they'd have thought it was only for Louisville. I I hope I hope I I hope I solely killed this bill, and I'm willing I'm willing to champion that. If if I was the person that got the guy not to file the bill, shoot the messenger. I don't care because I did. I was vehemently against it. It would have forced rural school boards that had already foregone all this nonsense. And it went further than the CDC was recommending. They'd have had to backed up and instituted CDC requirements that would have made them quarantine longer, or that would have made them wear masks. And all, like, they'd have been tied to CDC forever. And I didn't want that. I'm from rural Kentucky. I don't want them. They shouldn't be having to do stuff like that because our lunatic board up here is so far left. So I've learned that every single proposed bill needs thorough review and multiple eyes on it prior to passage. This is a topic from another discussion, but this is why Section 46, if you have your pocket Kentucky Constitution, go look at it. This is why Section 46 needs to be a topic of fierce 
like discussion because it's that's why it's in the constitution because even the founders of this state and this country knew this fact that I'm telling you that every single bill needs thorough review and they they require our legislature to read these bills in full multiple times in front of their in front of their membership and we aren't doing that So after forcing myself to reconsider my stance, I decided, as have others, that I trust in these matters, like Lee Watts and Patriot Point, and you know, but others as well. I will actually be voting no on this amendment question, constitutional amendment number one. So I just told you why I, why I was originally a yes. Now I'm going to tell you why I'm a no now. Okay. Got my stuff out of order here. I think I'm done with that one. Okay. So number one, back in twenty one back in twenty twenty one legislative session, the Kentucky legislature passed a law, okay, already passed it, that stated no declarations of emergency can be enacted for over thirty days or can't be renewed for over thirty days without the legislature being called back into into session and having input on it. Okay, when they passed this bill they even included that no additional emergencies can be declared subsequently or any time in the future related to a previous state of emergency. So basically if it, they try to do a COVID state of emergency two years from now, they won't be able to do it without calling the legislative body back in the session because there was one in the end of the 2021, I guess is when it was. Now, whenever this, whenever the original amendment was, because it takes time to get us on the ballot, this bill, even if it had been proposed and passed, I know it hadn't been heard by the Supreme Court yet. So there was still a worry that, hey, the Supreme Court could strike down this bill that was just passed. And if we haven't, if we don't have it on the ballot in 2022, it would be 2024 before we could vote on this thing and have two more years of possibly Andy Bashir making, you know, having authoritarian rule. Okay. So due to the time it takes to get an amendment on the ballot, this previous this process began back when it was necessary to still be put forth. But it's now that it's been passed, and more importantly, that the Supreme Court has now ruled. The Supreme Court now on this piece of on this piece of legislation I'm talking about has already ruled on it and upheld it as constitutional, as a constitutional limit on the governor's emergency powers. So, we have, the, the reason, that's the reason the amendment was put forth, was to limit the governor's emergency powers. That's been done. Now, once I realized that, I thought, okay, then why, why should I still vote yes or why should I vote no now? Okay? So that check on the governor's power has already been, it's already been, already been taken care of. Now, other than limiting the governor's power, what's been the battle cry of the last two years from the parental rights movement, 
you know, the people trying to lower taxes, all that. It's been, let's put more power back in people's hands, right? Let's put more power back in the parents' hands as far as how they, how their children are educated. Well, this amendment does the opposite of, of what we all have been screaming for, which is putting more power back in the hands of people and parents. How, you may ask. Okay, let's talk about it. Why would we, after fighting so hard to get so much power out of one person's hands, this in this state, the governor, okay, fought tooth and nail to get this power out of this one person's hands, why would we turn around and put such another huge power that no legislature has ever had since our since our state was put into existence why would we turn around and put it put that the power to call the legislature back into session why would we put that power only in two people's hands those two people being the speaker of the house and the president of the senate both of which right now currently are Republicans, but have been there for, I mean, they're about as like career politician as you can get. And though one of them worked, worked with me on HB 51 and helped me get that through, I ain't heard from him since, and I tried reaching out to him. Well, the, Senate, the president of the Senate is another Southeastern Kentucky boy. But every problem we have in the state is in the Senate. So I can tell you right now, if HB 51, if I wouldn't have gotten all the, all the support from the rank and file membership, I can tell you right now, point blank, hands down, without a, without a doubt, that the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate would have, if it was their choice, would have never gotten, would have never made it out of either chamber. they certainly wouldn't have called people back into session to vote on it. So they are giving the power to call the, legislat the legislature back into the hands of the, of the people, quote-unquote, by allowing, for example, sorry, I just misspoke. They're not giving the power to call the legislative legislature back into the hands of the people by, for instance, allowing a majority of both chambers to to call itself back into session. So let's say we give them 12 extra days. And let's say as a people, as a grassroots movement, we're able to convince House members and senators individually, our own House members, our own Senate members, by effectively grassroots marketing them. We've convinced a majority of each House, or I'm sorry, of each chamber, to want to go back into session. Or even if we had convinced all of them, except for the House, Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate, there'd be no guarantee they'd get called into session. That would be truly putting power back in the people's hands. This is putting the power into government, the government's hands, the establishment's hands.
Because these two people aren't just any any two people in in Kentucky state government. These are the only two people with any real power. We're talking. They decide what everything from what suite or what office you're going to get in if you're if you're a house a house rep or a senator. Who your suite mates are going to be if you're getting a rookie like a rookie secretary or a, a, a assistant, whatever you want to call them, that's going to manage your suite, or if you're getting one of the seasoned vets. They're deciding what committees you're getting put put on. They're deciding if your name being on a bill is going to kill it or not. They're the only ones making any money. I'm talking crazy money. They also can control where all the party money's going. Go look at the go look at the people that are getting all the Republican caucus backing money. I think it's called KREF. I think my wife and I will use followthemoney.org. Go see who's getting money from the Republican caucus. It ain't the like, it ain't the grassroots, it ain't Savannah Maddox, Felicia Rayborn, Lindsey Titchener. It ain't none of them. Josh Calloway, it ain't them. So that alone makes this thing a no-go for me. I'm not trying to give that much power to two people. That I've worked my butt off for two months. And at least for our president of the Senate, Robert Stivers, there wasn't there was nothing I'd have been able to do to get in a room with that with that man. He wasn't he wasn't having it. Said so David Osborne, I spoke with him and I you know, I felt like we were developing a you know a good rapport and we met for coffee and stuff like that. But I've texted him several times since then and I ain't heard back from him. So take it for what it is. Okay, another thing. So, it's another example of. I'm gonna back up a little bit. This is explain kind of how this is another example of thinking you're, thinking you're doing, trying to accomplish one goal and really not accomplishing at all. So with SB one this past session, you know the Republicans felt like they were trying to you know, they were trying to get one over on the on the teachers unions. They felt like the teachers unions had become so powerful on these school boards, these site based decision making councils and school boards. And all that, they wanted to try to they wanted to try to wrangle some of that power away from them. So in a futile attempt to wrangle that power from the teachers unions through SB one, the legislature basically made every school district superintendent the dictator over that district. Because now superintendents can even, they even have the authority to render the SBDM, site-based councils, powerless if they want to. They don't have to, but they can. Which, and right now, SBDMs are literally the only way, only possible way a parent can even attempt to make a difference other than running for school board. Now, they don't have a whole lot of power on those SBDMs because they're outnumbered, but it's, I mean, it's still the only way. So it wasn't really that SB one wasn't really accomplishing what it was trying to accomplish. Another thing: this amendment does not require any extenuating circumstances for being called back into session. So it could easily be used as a weapon to sneak bills through under the radar that we don't like, or that 
they just don't want to get much attention. So I got rid of it again. You know, like I've said, I'm actually open to conversation as far as talking about amending our part time, the part time nature of our legislature. And I think that this is that's really what this bill or what this constitutional amendment would do is move would move us in that direction, right? But that wasn't the point of it, and we shouldn't be passing something that the entire point of why we proposed it is, is it's not even valid any longer. So if like if we're if we're trying to move in that direction, voters need to be made clear that's what they're voting for. So if the if this amendment at the end of the day what it really does is move us closer to being a you know at least a more part-time legislature that needs to be what is being communicated to people when they go to the polls is hey we're amending the constitution because we feel like we don't have enough time to discuss bills to thoroughly review them to get public input to get committee you know input and so we'd like we, we feel like with 12 more days that's a way to do it without becoming you know, like a full-time legislature where we got to start paying ourselves more and yada, yada. If we want to put that as, if we want to amend the Constitution and put that up to a vote, that's fine. But that needs to be what people are th know they're voting on. Because right now, it's that no one thinks they're voting on that. So again, Constitutional Amendment 1, I'm a no vote. Constitutional Amendment 2, I'm a yes vote. If you want more information on Constitutional Amendment 1 and why I'm a, why you should be a no vote, I'm going to put down in the show notes a link to Lee Watts' podcast from Patriot Point. Um, it's like a 50-minute deal. He's much better at keeping things quick and concise than I am. But I'm more of the, uh, I'm telling you, my, I'm giving you my feeling in my real world. I'm, I'm applying things to the real world more. I'm not, I'm not just so point blank. Here's the situation. And I feel like that's why... You know, it takes me longer to get some things out sometimes. But I'm going to put that in the show notes. He's got other reasons why this should be, you should be a no vote as far as the, how, how bill timing goes and how they could use this as a way to sneak stuff in under the radar, all that good stuff. And so I'm going to end today with this. I'm trying to find the, right, the line I want to use here. No one, no one won. Yes, on two. But this, this podcast, this my beginning monologue, my ending here. I want it's. I'm, I want to direct this to church leaders, pastors, priests, elders, youth leaders, deacons, people that are conducting Bible studies, all that. I want to implore you to get specific about what is sinful and, in, and what is inviting God's wrath in this world. And I, I wanted to implore you to call for definitive action. I'm not asking you to run for political office. I'm not, I'm not asking you to tell me if you're a Republican or Democrat. I'm not asking for that. But stop being so what they call what Mr. or uh, Pastor Russell 
refers to as seeker-friendly, where you want to grow your membership and grow your tithing money amounts. Stop letting that seeker-friendly mentality keep you from calling a spade a spade and for giving your, again, your regiment definitive request for action. It should not be hard for a pastor to ask his congregation to go vote yes on this amendment so that courts can't arbitrarily determine abortion as a right. I want to remind you back to Mr. Russell's words here. Church leaders, your congregation needs you to be strong and courageous now. Our country needs you to step up and speak out now. If we don't stand firm, our grandchildren may not have the same freedoms and privileges we take for granted. And I'm going to, I'm going to end with this. If you don't stand firm, if you don't stand in front of your congregations and strongly and courageously demand that they vote yes on this abortion, on this abortion amendment, no matter how much I like you personally, I won't have any respect for you anymore. When you're in a leadership position, it's your duty to lead. Be strong, be courageous. Tell your congregations, to vote yes, Constitutional Amendment number two. That's all I got for you today. Everybody, I appreciate you for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, or thumbs down this thing if you want. If you if you don't like what I'm saying, if you don't like it, still share it, comment on it. You know, I want bad publicity too. I'll be back. I'll be back at y'all here over the next couple of days. Talk about what I think the other big uh, issues are for this upcoming election. But these were two very important things, and I'm not the only person that's out here talking about them. I encourage you to hear as many points of view as you possibly can find, as far as whether you should be yes or no votes on them. Come to your own conclusion. But y'all know where I stand now. So the rest y'all y'all have y'all have a good evening. Thanks for watching, and enjoy the rest of your day. Way too much.